This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. Uh, this text comes in, unsigned. Can you talk about the Brock deal? I missed it and have heard very little talk about it today. If I get the emergency podcast, I wouldn't be listening live. Yes. Well, you should get the emergency podcast to maybe listen later tonight, you can listen tomorrow later. morning. It's worth listening later. We'll bring some Brock talk, though. It, it's something that will go more in depth because we've already done it. Well, Sat's already done it. Yes. No, we'll talk more about Brock. We, I mean, so there was a trade that happened. Yes. Ryan McDonough went to, to the Preds. What that means, if anything, for Vancouver, too. You always have to find a Vancouver angle. Always. So we'll do that. And we'll talk about Brock Besser's contract and, you know, what... What value would look like for him this this next season? How is Brock going to live up to the contract? More or potentially less. more. Yeah. yeah, we'll do that in hour three of the show. We're on three to six from the next couple of days, and Thursday we're on at three, getting ready for the draft, and then Friday we're on early morning nine a.m. for day two of the NHL entry draft, and we'll bring you every pick here on Sportsnet 650 and what the Canucks do, of course. Let's bring in our next guest. He is our Monday Hockey Insider. It is Frank Saravalli. When are you making it out to Montreal? Uh, tomorrow morning. Hope you guys had a great Canada Day weekend. Which of the Canadian cities is your favorite to, to visit? And thank you for the Canada Day wishes. Happy July 4th to you as well. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a really good question. I actually, this is not a Pollyannish answer at all. I actually... Like, I enjoy going to all of them. Um, I think there's something special about Montreal, and I haven't really spent much time there at all in the summer. So I'm looking forward to seeing that side of it. It's usually rather cold and <laughs> and, uh, and snowy when I go there. So uh, this would be a, a different and unique view. But uh, being in van for the draft, uh, I don't know, how many years ago is that now? Four? Yep. Um, that was pretty awesome too uh 2019 was the vancouver draft um i'll say this like i I grew up in toronto people know that they make fun of me for it all the time here in vancouver but uh, montreal is the only city in canada that rivals vancouver as uh the best canadian city to visit in the summertime so so you should look like unbelievable it's supposed to be like 22 or 23 all weekend sunny like I don't know what the humidity is like, but that's a solid, I don't know, 8 or 10 degrees lower than what it is here in Philly. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, my, my Toronto friends might hate me for this, but Montreal might have the best Italian food of any Canadian city. Honestly, it's a ridiculous food city and a ridiculously good drinking <laughs> city. Um, I, like, it's going to be a pretty debaucherous week for the <laughs> hockey media people this week. Uh, yeah, Friday night in Montreal might be fun in the in the hockey world. All right, so we've been talking about it through the first hour of the show. The Canucks get Besser done on Friday, make a bunch of changes to their coaching staff. But now we're wondering, what's the next shoe to drop for Patrick Alvin? What are you hearing on the Canucks? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, and, and I was kind of surprised a little bit, and I understand the deadline that was in play in terms of, of Brock Besser and sort of what was, what they were staring down. Um, I was kind of surprised to see it come together that quickly based on the update that I had gotten earlier in the week that Mm -hmm. they really hadn't made any progress, but what's the next shoe to drop? I mean, how many times did we hear Jim Rutherford say by the draft? We'll know 
about JT Miller. I think they've had a sense on JT Miller for a while that this was going to be pretty expensive and, and maybe even in some ways out of their league. I think they've been collecting and considering some uh, expressions of interest, if not offers specifically for JT Miller. And I think they're in a spot where they're like, hey, how good can this get? Will someone meet our price, you know, sort of by Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening? Yeah, because the sense I get here, Frank, is that if they don't have 100% clarity already on JT's situation, they're probably going to get that either tonight or tomorrow as they have a final discussion here with JT's camp. Yeah, and that makes sense. Look, I don't think there's any secrets here, Sat. Like, I think everyone kind of knows the general ballpark that JT Miller Mm -hmm. has played himself into, and it's probably a little bit rich for the Canucks in terms of, you know, maybe not even so much the dollars, but also the term uh, that I think is probably problematic for the Canucks and and what they'd like to accomplish. So, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised at all, you know, and I don't know if we're going to get any sort of definitive answer uh, or if that will be made public. You might have a better sense of that than me. But, you know, I, I think the writing has been on the wall for a little while. The question is, Who's going to step up and will someone do it in enough time to make the Canucks pull the trigger and make it happen? Um, you know, one team I think to, to keep an eye on, you know, we had talked and mentioned previously for a while the idea of the New York Rangers. I think another team to keep an eye on in the JT Miller watch is right across the Hudson River in the New Jersey Devils. I think they're a team that, uh, really, really likes JT Miller and and would like to do what they can to try and bring him there. You think the Canucks get more than what uh, Minnesota did for Fiala? I think so. I mean, look, um, Fiala was in a spot where he had to sign the the long-term deal right away, um, and you're getting a restricted free agent that, um, you know, they probably, my guess is they had a conversation before, that trade goes down and maybe even was allowed by Minnesota in order to try and increase the return. Uh, the benefit of JT Miller is that if you have a cap crunch, which the New Jersey Devils don't, you have him at a really valuable number for this upcoming season. So I think that's part of it, that um, you know that, that would be – a significant part of the equation, I would think, that allows them to get more. And, and the thing with Fiala is, um, yes, he had some really strong pandemic-shortened seasons, but he hasn't quite risen to or gotten to the level that JT Miller has, you know, knocking on that door at 100 points and, and the years that he's had his entire tenure in Vancouver. So um, I know he's a little bit older than Kevin Fiala, but I I view JT Miller as a much more, I I struggle over this word. Is it, is it reliable? Is it um, consistent? Like, I just think JT Miller has a stronger uh, consistency to his game than Kevin Fiala. So there's two things you have on your trade target board over at, um, at daily Faceoff that are New Jersey devils. Uh, The number six, piece on your on your trade targets is the number two overall pick and you also have a number nine Jasper Bratt uh, do you think either of those pieces could be used to acquire JT Miller or could be uh, part of a JT Miller trade if the two were to link up 
I don't see why not. Like I, I, you know, I would consider, you know, I would think that if that's the player that they're really targeting, that they'd be willing and ready to do, you know, any one of those pieces in order to try and make it happen. Um, you know, I, I it, it's really interesting on Jesper Bratt and it's funny because every time he's on the trade targets board, I get a ton of backlash from the devil's fan base saying like, Hey, did, did you not hear our GM and Tom Fitzgerald at their, at his end of season press conference, you know, about how big of, of a part Jesper Bratt is to, to that team. And I, I did. And I, I realized that he said that they're counting on him next year and he's a big part of their future. But at the same time, They've they've had a couple months now to hammer out the next deal for Jesper Bratt, who's a pending restricted free agent with Arbright, and they haven't done it. They've made next to no progress at all and have had no substantive discussions on Jesper Bratt and his future in New Jersey. Does that necessarily mean that he's getting traded? No. They really grounded out last time to get him the deal that he has now. Um, and it, you know, it went deep and sometimes that happens, but it's going to be an expensive arbitration case coming off of that 77 point season. I think it was, or something like that 73 point season. Um, he's a fantastic player. He might be New Jersey's best player, best forward. Um, and so certainly something to consider. So, um, I'm surprised at where things are at with Jesper Bratt, that there has been no meaningful progress. Like, if I'm looking at it and I'm connecting all the dots, first off, I know that he was available in conversation with a team at the trade deadline. And second, like if you're Fitzgerald and the Devils, like don't you want to have a really expensive item checked off of your list before you go out and spend this summer? Because we get the sense that that's what the Devils want to do. Like, wouldn't you want to know what Brass Jesper Brat checks in at? before you go out and fill up the rest of your bingo card. Yeah, and one of the things I find interesting about the Brat situation is, like, none of the principals, I mean, I'm sure there are scouts that are still there when he was drafted, but the GM wasn't the same, the coaches aren't the same. I mean, there's a completely different regime in place, so just because Brad is good now, maybe there isn't that allegiance to him as a player and a prospect that's come through, as you would see with somebody that had been there when, when he was drafted. Yeah, but there should be, though, yeah. like they've seen him develop and do everything that they've asked him to do throughout this process. Like this is a guy that was a late round pick and has really earned every single thing that he's gotten in New Jersey. As he's seen guys come in around him that some have had the track record and some haven't like, you know, you think back to the extension that Jack Hughes signed. um, What was it? Four games into the season. And he gets eight times eight. And you're like, okay, like, I, I get it based on pedigree, but Jesper Brad has gone out and delivered at every moment where Hughes was in a spot where he hadn't really done much of anything to this point in his career to warrant that type of contract. Ultimately, it might end up being a smart buy for New Jersey based on what we saw from Hughes to end the season after he got healthy. But for me, uh, if I'm Jesper Brad and I'm sitting there watching all of this unfold, Dougie Hamilton coming mm. in on a huge ticket, I'm yeah. going, huh. Where do I fit into the mix? But when it relates to that number two overall pick, which you guys were also asking about, you know, the Devils, by all accounts, seem to be pretty interested in, in Uri Slavkovsky. I'm not saying that they, you know, 
definitely would you know move that pick, but they they do seem to like uh, the pieces that may potentially be available to them if indeed Slavkovsky is is not taken by Montreal number one. The reason it's been on the trade targets board is because, as I mentioned, Fitzgerald has said very publicly, we're open to anything. So that would mean the number two overall pick included, and he had been asked about that and confirmed it. Well, and one of the things about Brat, which makes it interesting, even, you know, let's say hypothetically they're interested in JT Miller, it's a clean trade, isn't it? If it's if it's Brat for Miller, I don't know if it's one for one, but those are the easiest trades to make, and usually those are the ones that do happen more more easily, aren't they? They they can, um, I, and I don't know what that would look like. Um, you would think that that you know might be a little bit cleaner, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like I just think of the player profile of Miller. And I think of what Fitzgerald has been asking for, which is hard skill. Uh, Miller has a bit of that edge to him and his game that, um, you know, I think might make a lot of sense for New Jersey in connecting, you know, just connecting a lot of these dots and putting the pieces together. Frank Cervalli, our guest. So, you know, we've talked so much about the Canucks trading players away. Um, do, do you think they look at free agency as a way to, to get better. Maybe not at the, the high end, but could you see Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine being players in free agency this year? I mean, I can because it depends on what kind of flexibility and space they have. Um, I don't see them being major players, to your point. like I think they might be able to get a few really smart buys to put themselves in a spot to improve without really shelling out a lot like i see them filling out you know potentially some of the bottom of their their lineup um you know using pieces like that that they can acquire in free agency but i i would think that if there's going to be some major surgery in vancouver it would be on the trade route well and as far as you know that is concerned what's do you have any other buzz on vancouver outside of jt miller or is it still pretty quiet on the other guys no, it, it's been rather quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they've been, you know, I think a lot of people have been riled up the last few days since the note that Elliot Friedman had in his 32 thoughts. <laughs> of, mm-hmm. you, you don't know, say, yeah. <laughs> well, look, it wouldn't be Vancouver if you guys weren't overreacting. Right. Um, but when you when you read the note and you reread it and you read it again, you're like, well, who could he really be talking about here? And I've gone through the list. I mean, Maybe it's Bo, um, in an odd way, with Besser. Like, does this? Con- and I was thinking about this because another team executive had mentioned it over the weekend. Does Besser's new deal make him more tradable now than previously? Mm, probably. There's cost certainty. GMs love cost certainty, Frank. Right. You don't want to get a guy and then go through the dance of of what's it going to cost him. You'd yeah. like to know ahead of time, wouldn't you? And the fact that he's in under what his qualifying offer was, you know, I think there's lots of room for growth. Like, I actually think that deal could be one that he outplays in rather short order. Well, you know, you you mentioned Bo, because the question with Bo, I think there's definitely interest in Bo. I mean, you know, I, I, I know there are teams that have inquired about him, you know, in the past or maybe even recently or whatever. It just comes down to Vancouver's willingness on him because there would be a robust market if they ever really explored it. 
why wouldn't there be? Yeah. I mean, he's one of those heart and soul players. Like he's hit, you know, hit 30 goals this year and didn't play 82 games. Like, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I've just, you know, watched as sort of the model of consistency for someone that on a team where there hasn't not been very much consistency over the last few years has been one sort of steady old reliable that shows up and gets the job done. Frank Saravalli, our guest. So uh, I'm looking around the league and, and the trade that happened this weekend still kind of baffles me that, that Tampa Bay was able to get out of the McDonough contracts uh, without having to, to withhold some money or give up an asset. But, but Hey, uh, I, I can see how Nashville thinks Ryan McDonough makes their team better. The one thing about that though, is it signals Nashville's ready to contend. How do they do that if they don't keep Philip Forsberg? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and I don't know the answer to that. I, I would suggest that there's a deal to be made for Forsberg, and I've mentioned it previously, and it seemed to generate some headlines that I don't. I know that they haven't asked Nashville for the Roman Yossi type deal. He's mm-hmm. at nine point oh five eight. In AAV, I, I think they're in the much lower eights. Um, I think a big part of what Forsberg is looking for is structure. Uh, they want the clauses. They want the signing bonuses. Nashville doesn't, they don't give those things out. No. Um, and I, I actually really like the McDonough trade from a Nashville perspective because they're able to move out a lot of salary in, in Philip Myers. And Myers, it still seems odd to me that Tampa isn't going to use the the buyout for Myers, given the unique cap credit that's there. Like they could have had upwards of seven point three million dollars in space, and instead they created just four four and change. And I know you're looking at that and you say, okay, well that gets you Andre Pilat, and that's great because he was an important piece that now it, it seems pretty clear that Tampa is going to resign, and they already were able to keep, keep Nick Paul. But from Nashville's perspective, they don't really have to give much up. Um, they were giving up guys that they were trying to unload anyway. Um, and there's not a huge difference in, in salary expenditure. In real dollars, what you're looking at is a net change of like just under $3 million bucks um, between Philip Myers and Ryan McDonough. And what you're getting is a way better player, someone that you can instantly slot into your you know, top two or three defensemen and, and, you know, play them till the wheels fall off. I do think there's some sort of buyer beware a little bit on McDonough, uh, just in the sense that he really did seem to struggle in the Stanley Cup final, um, but had a tremendous playoff up until that point. And, and you know, there's certainly been a lot of uh, miles on him uh, to this point, but someone that uh, when you consider the hole that was left from Ryan Ellis on their blue line, that Ryan McDonough is certainly going to improve the Nashville back end, and they need that help in their own end with how much time Roman Yossi spends at the other one. Well, and, you know, it is really interesting because you're right. They don't give a ton of signing bonus money, but if you do, it's a funny way to get a lot of money up front, and you can cheat a little bit of the escrow and stuff like that. So I'm with you. The structure is really fascinating for a lot of these big players. As far as a big trade that may go down, and I guess we're getting a little greedy because we already saw the Fiala one go down. We saw the Ryan McDonough one. But is there a big name you're really keeping an eye on outside of JT, of course, that you really sense is, is going to get traded here uh, by Thursday? It's hard to say by Thursday yeah. um, because you never know. And you, it's odd that 
a lot of times teams do this dance um, at the draft, and they basically lay the groundwork, but they, they're not ready or able or willing to pull the trigger then. But then they, like, take it home over the weekend and they think about it and they do it before free agency starts, or like a Monday or Tuesday. I'm watching Alex Debrinkit to see what's close there. Um, there's been a lot of interest in him and a number of teams that are like, hey, this is a 40-goal guy up for grabs. He's done it twice now. Um, he certainly has the ability to consistently do that, and he's young. I mean, he's only 24. So Debrinkit is one. Um I think there's a pretty good chance that Tony D'Angelo is dealt around the draft from Carolina. Um, I wonder about Jeff Petrie. I think that might wait a little bit, but Petrie has sort of popped up as well as another potential target that could be on the move rather quickly. Frank, uh, enjoy La Belle Provence. Uh, We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Uh, There is uh, Frank Saravalli, our Monday hockey insider, dropping the New Jersey Devils as a team who are potentially very interested in JT Miller. It's not all that surprising. Sat, they've been, I mean, they've been interested in a couple of Canucks players for a while. Now. They seem to love everything that the Canucks have to offer. And uh, Tom Fitzgerald did have uh, a, a role in the Pittsburgh front office before uh, heading over to New Jersey. So maybe not entirely surprising there that there's, a connection between the two front offices. But Jasper Bratt is a super interesting name if we're talking a JT Miller trade or any kind of a trade with the New Jersey Devils. We we talked about, you know, would you trade JT for the second overall pick hypothetically? And as much as, you know, I'd, I'd love to make that type of a trade if I'm moving JT, getting, you know, that type of a draft pick. It just doesn't make sense for New Jersey to trade the second overall pick for a player who's going to be 30 or you're going to pay a lot of money to. It just doesn't make sense. But if you're trading a player like, say, Jesper Bratt, who you're not signing and you're using that money to sign JT Miller instead, then all of a sudden we're talking about a different type of situation here. We're not talking about a player who's on an ELC contract, as good as he is. He's a player you're going to have to pay a premium now. So they're looking at it and saying, hey, what if we trade Bratt, hypothetically here, after our discussion with Sarah Valley, what if they were thinking, saying, we're okay with trading Bratt and whatever else, which isn't going to be major maybe, for JT Miller. We won't do the second. But to me, the Bratt for Miller one, there could be some sense to it as far as a framework for both sides, which makes more sense than the second overall pick. I'd love to see it. I just, I don't, I just don't see it making sense for New Jersey to trade that pick for a 30-year-old. Yeah, I think uh, a, a lot of teams would get... <laughs> It's just not a trade that happens in the NHL. No. Um, so that one never seemed realistic to me. Even if the Canucks were to do like a pick swap type thing, it never really made a ton of sense. Second overall for JT Miller. I think Jasper Brad is one of the more underrated players in the league. I think he gets overshadowed by some of the other young players there in New Jersey, especially Jack Hughes. But he is legitimately... Like, think back to those games... The Canucks had a terrible time against the New Jersey Devils this year. Yeah, man, a lot of speed. And they got blown out by the New Jersey Devils, if you remember that Yarrow Halak game, where he was not very good, but also the Canucks were just an abomination in front of him. Mm-hmm. Bratt and Hughes were dangerous every time they touched the puck. And they did a lot of that when they did play together this year. Incredible skater, really good player, 
and one that I think is one of the more underrated ones in the league. Uh, yeah, I, and his 23 sat. He's he fits young. into that that kind of age range that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Olvin have talked about. 100%. Now, here's the argument against Jesper Bratt. And I like Jesper Bratt. I wouldn't be against a, a framework of a trade if you're trading JT if Bratt comes back. But That's a premium piece, or at least is shown to be premium. Yeah. The question, however, is he's not a defenseman. Nope. He's not a centerman. No. Those are the two things you want. Now, we had this discussion a lot. As long as you get a player that makes you better, you don't worry about it too much because you're getting better. But is that really what they're out after if you're moving JT? Ultimately, a a, a winger who you're going to have to pay six six million or so for. Yes, we're back coming off a seventy three point season, point a game, almost twenty six goals, seventy three points. He's not signed in for foreign change. No, it's a big ticket. So not only are you trading for a player who's not a center. Was not a defenseman, talented, young, fast, but you're also paying him a big salary right away. You're not getting cap flexibility making that trade. No. So it could make, it's a clean way of looking at it, but I don't think it gives Vancouver three things you're looking for. Now, maybe Brad's so good in their eyes that they're okay with paying him. They're okay he's not a center. They're okay he's not a defenseman because that's how good he is. Maybe that's the calculus. I just question that a little bit. So Brad. Straight up, not enough. I, I don't know if it entices Vancouver enough. Maybe it does. I'm not saying it's not being discussed. That's not the point I'm making. I'm not sure how it aligns for Vancouver, ultimately. Uh, Riley Walsh, another interesting name uh, on the defensive side for the New Jersey Devils, but is a little bit older, 23 years old. Uh, Jasper Bratt would be an interesting one. We'll talk more about JT Miller and what the Canucks do this week. Don Taylor is going to join us. Was uh, unable to do Donnie and Dolly today as... Uh, their whole team is on the COVID protocol list, but he's going to make some time for us today. Don Taylor is coming up next on Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned VC company helping local business since 1892. In case you missed the uh, opening hour of the program we dove into a deep conversation with jeremy colleton the new head coach of the abbotsford canucks his experiences in chicago as the nhl coach there and how he connects or how he connects with young players and also started to dive into what the canucks may end up doing this week sat with some nuggets on where things stand with jt miller bo horvat and more as the Canucks head into a massive week NHL entry draft on Thursday. So check out Hour 1 on the podcast. It's up and available now. Download, subscribe, review. You know the drill. Don Taylor is going to join us uh, in a couple of moments. And uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line for our live listeners is uh, just absolutely buzzing after our chat with Frank Saravalli and what might happen with the Canucks as he brings up a potential trade partner in the New Jersey Devils. It's going to be a lot of that this week. Let's bring in our next guest uh, right now. It's uh, Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon, Monday through Friday. They were off today as they are on the COVID protocol list. Uh, Donnie, how are you feeling? A lot better today, I'll, I'll tell you that. So, uh, yeah, we, we um, our studio, I don't know what it looks like on TV. I'm there all the time, so I see it too much. I don't have a, an idea of what the rest of the public thinks, but it's not big. 
So if, if one person has an issue health-wise, pretty much everybody else does. So um, it wasn't totally surprising, but uh, everybody's healthy now, and we'll be back at work tomorrow. You sound good. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't. I didn't two days ago. Let me tell you that. Well, I mean, I, I think uh, I'm glad you took it easy because hey, you got you got to be healthy. But I think you could have you could have done well if you did a show today. I think you would have crushed it. Yeah. Well, no. No. Well, you know what? That's the sad part is that it's you know it's Monday, which yeah. is traditionally a busy day in our business, and you know there wasn't too much going on uh, over the weekend. Just the best resigning and the Canucks rearranging their coaching staff and. You know, Whitecaps and Lions, both with impressive <laughs> victories. Yeah, yeah, you know, not Nothing much happened. going on. Yeah. So I, I felt terrible. Not, I felt terrible physically and, you know, mentally just because we weren't able to go in on a pretty important day. Donnie, you were fired up about that Whitecaps win. I was. I, I, you know, because <laughs> it was one of those things where I'm at home, there's nothing to do. So I watched the whole game, and it was just, I just, I just the whole thing was just fabulous. And I, it kind of came out of nowhere because let's be honest here. Other than, well, I mean, the last month or two have been pretty good, but there's been a lot of disappointment this year. And I, I just had a great time. It was, I mean, it was, a, it was an upset first of all, but then you had a you know designated player coming through so big, and uh, the, the the fans were on fire. Not the largest crowd in the world, but they made a lot of noise, and I just loved it. I just thought it was fantastic, and I just look at the way things are going for the three those three teams right now. Whitecaps, Lions, and Canucks, and you know maybe maybe the dark days of this particular dark period, it, it, maybe maybe they're coming to an end. Maybe big maybe there. I know a lot, I tweeted that out, and a lot of people said thanks for jinxing us. But I just I, I just got excited thinking about all all three of those teams, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I uh, I'll believe it when I see it with the Whitecaps. They've uh, they fooled us before, but uh... yeah, yeah. We'll leave, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now because the Canucks have some business to do this week. We've been talking a lot. And, hey, I, I guess, um, you know, listeners haven't had a chance yet to hear your take on, on the Brock Besser extension too much. Uh, what do you think about the business the Canucks got done with their number six? When you look on social media, everything is just so very little of it is, is negative. And I think, let, let's be honest, guys, a lot of that might have to do with the reality of life and how people feel about Brock after the press conference, after the season uh, was over. But it's not, it's not one of these deals like in the previous era where you just knew it was going to hamstring the organization. Is it maybe a little bit more money-wise than people might want to spend over three years? Yeah, you could argue that, but it's three years. And it's, it's not four, it's not five, it's not six, it's not Louis Erickson territory. I'm not saying that Brock Besser is in that in that territory, but I think three years is manageable. And I also I also combine that news and what else they have to do with the you know the news of the five point two billion dollars in revenues that the that the NHL collected this year, a record. And just the thought that and obviously you'd think Canuck management would know more than me. But I'm going to guess that the salary cap will go up significantly, I would think, in the next in next two or three years. So maybe that was the thinking there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem. I think he, he's, he's worth the risk. And, and, I, and, and it's not much of a risk at three years. Yeah. 
Well, and you know the, the thing too is, I mean, for all the talk around Besser and maybe he's a guy that gets moved, he gets signed, and he's probably not getting traded at, the, at this point. Yeah. When it with Horvat, it's always kind of seemed like he's going to end up signing an extension or not. But for all the guys that that were being talked about getting traded. None of them have been traded yet. And like Dan was saying earlier in the show, it's like, where is the change happening here? I mean, do we finally see that change this weekend, you think? Or do you think maybe we still see Miller and Hor- well, Miller be part of the team after the weekend? Well, I think all of us. I know uh, you guys, us, every show in the city and every fan in, 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 in Canuck Nation ha- is, has been of the opinion that they were not going to keep all three of those players. They weren't going to keep Besser, Miller, and Horvat. So I, I would expect, uh, expect something fairly soon. Obviously, Besser's been locked down uh, with, with Miller and may, maybe even Horvat. But I mean, coming off a 99 point season and with a you know, year left in his contract, Miller's the guy that's going to get you the most bang for your buck, the most return. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, given their cap situation, uh, which still isn't where, where they want it to be, he's the guy that's going to help you the most and would probably help you the most in terms of getting prospects uh, in return. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a move. I, just, I, I don't see, given what they've talked about, given uh, what they've talked about regarding uh, an increase in cap space, uh, an increase in prospects, I, I can't see them keeping all three of those players. It's... Um... It's such a delicate spot with JT because, yeah, you know, they don't have a deadline. They have them signed through next year and all of that. They could wait. Um, that would be really interesting to see how that would play out during the course of the season. But I keep thinking, Donnie, if they if this gets to free agency and Nazem Kadri signs somewhere for eight-plus million bucks at seven years, as is being maybe speculated right now, how is, how is JT asking for less than that? So. Yeah. It's yeah. it almost feels like a deadline because you're putting yourself in a really difficult spot if you don't have something worked out with JT beforehand or mm-hmm. you, you you let that play out and then he sees what his comparables are and it only ends up being a worse situation for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and yeah and absolutely Nazem Kadri is coming off a high. JT Miller, I know they didn't make the playoffs, also coming off the high of a 99 point season. There's going to there's going to be a comparable there, and Cadre's going to have teams all over him. I, w- I would think you know, Rangers uh, rumored, the Flyers rumored. Maybe the Avalanche want to keep him doubtful, but I mean there are all sorts of teams that would that would love to have the guy. You know, you know one thing you, you said there that that sort of um, sparked me, which takes a lot, but uh, is that uh, maybe the one way they keep all three, and this never happens, is if somehow they get a discount from the player from the agent. Probably not going to happen, but yeah, I'm I'm sure with the cadre in mind, Miller's going to want to score big time. We're uh, going to want to score big time. And, and what about next year? What if they lose him for nothing? I mean, it's it, you think now would be the time to move? Yeah, we'll I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I would be surprised that they head into the season with both Bo and JT not signed to extensions. I just don't see that happening. The season beginning and those guys not being signed to extensions if they're still here at that point. And, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. As far as, you know, something else, you know, we, we discussed this, remember, around the trade deadline and we were, we were, you know, throwing out the idea of for all the talk around, you know, Horvat, Miller, I mean, Miller and Besser and Garland and all that stuff at the deadline, nothing happened. And we, we kind of posed the question with you just a few days ahead of it saying, 
what's the do we see something that we don't expect like do we see a trade with a player we're not talking about do you think that could also be the case when we saw Hamannick get traded do you think that could be the case this time around that we see somebody we're not talking about get dealt well, and, and when you talk about players, they don't get talked about a lot, but a little. That would be Garland. Mm-hmm. It would be Myers. I could see that. But my only problem with Myers would be, you know, the lack of, at this point, NHL-ready right-handed defensemen. So, I mean, as, as much as people want to rip his contract, he does have value to the organization uh, right now. But somebody that we haven't talked about, uh, you know, I, I, like I say, I guess Garland and Myers would be uh, in that conversation. No, we, not many people bring up Pearson. Um, but coaches love the guy, and you know what? Three plus. It's it's not hamstringing you that much. You know, nobody talks a lot about him. I think other teams would value him. So maybe he's somebody that might be might be a possibility that would get you something. I mean, you can always you know uh, trade somebody in Abbotsford, trade somebody your bottom six or a seven eight defense. But but what are you getting in return? So maybe somebody like Pearson or or, or, or Garland and 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 uh, Myers. And they're going to get your return, but I don't know. It's just anything's possible. It's kind of exciting, actually, as it always is at this time of year. My my thing, Donnie, is just we we've seen this core. You know, like you can bring back Bo, you can bring back Miller, you can yeah yep. you, you can bring them all back, pay them all. Like they're all good players. I'm not saying that they aren't, but I also know that the mix of them hasn't done well enough over the last few years. So what what are you committing to if you're keeping all those players? I just I don't see how they keep all of them and then have a pathway to making everything around them better to really take this team into being a contender. That's a great point. Every time I'm on this show, like you guys make points, <laughs> and then I jot them down and I use them the next day. So you can look, look, look forward to that. Uh, but no, it's, it's such a good point. Uh, and, and look, we, so many fans, even media, we have a tendency to fall in love with players, especially the guys that are the, the leaders, the guys who perform well, the guys that work the hardest. But you're bang on. They've, they've had very little success since 2011. You can't fall in love that much. You got to make bold moves. You got to make, you know, what you know some people would say are, are not necessarily crazy moves, but cold, and cold and bold. That's what they need right now. But you're you're right. Uh, you, they, the the core seems great, but the reality is, no playoff spots, very little success. Time to, it's time for a change. Otherwise, you're just going to get accused of doing the same things as the previous regime. Yeah, I mean, and you know, ultimately, that's going to have to be the separating factor. Like, how different does this team actually look as opposed to the one that you took over? And you know, we haven't seen too many changes quite yet. And we did see some changes behind the bench. Mike Yo comes in now uh, into the coaching staff, and Jeremy Colleton is now the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. The Mike Yo one is interesting, Donnie, because. I, I think he's going to have a pretty sizable role here. And in many ways, he might be in charge of all the details that the team's yes. been talking about, yes. whereas Boudreaux, that's not really his strength. So I think it's really fascinating that this is the guy they have, and they're going to give him a sizable role, I think. Well, you know, when you see somebody like a Pete DeBoer who, you know, jumps from team to team, but never see, never seems long out of a job. And the same thing with Mike Yo. And one thing that, and we've heard this from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Calvin. Management types, analytic types, they, and, and I understand this, like even working in minor hockey, they really value coaches who put together, you know, the details, but also are able to put together real sharp, crisp practices. That's really valued. 
Um, you to, so players don't just run through the same drills all the time. It, it, there's something different all the time. My understanding with Mike Yo is that he runs a really crisp, sharp practice with, with creativity. And we've heard hints from Alvin. We've heard hints from Rutherford that that wasn't necessarily the case. As, as successful as he was with Bruce Boudreaux, and they're wondering if it's sustainable. So Mike Yo, as an assistant, makes a lot of sense. Maybe not. Maybe he's not the leader type person. Maybe he's not the raw rod type person Bruce Boudreaux is. But together, they can they can work off each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's what they were thinking w- with that hire. Don Taylor, our guest. You know, as we keep talking about all these different players, the one that uh, has been in a lot of trade rumors since coming over and through the year is uh, is is Connor Garland. Did he, did he show you enough at the end of the year, Donnie, that that suggests he should remain a Vancouver Canuck? I thought he was going to be here long. At the start of the year, it was like wow, like everything was Ekman Larson. But what about this guy? What about the little guy out there wearing number eight? Uh, nothing against little guys, but it was very impressive. <laughs> yeah, better not be and, anything and, about and, against little guys there, Donnie. Come no, on. no, no. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I worked with Randor for some time, <laughs> but. <laughs> If he heard that, he'd absolutely kill me. By the way, <laughs> don't, don't put that clip out there. In, in, in he, he's enjoying place. sunshine in Tampa, I'm sure, right, right now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's got his two Stanley Cup <laughs> yeah. rings for doing nothing. But um, <laughs> where were we? Con- uh, Connor Garland, but yes. he tailed off. He, he tailed off, and I, I found with Con- Connor Garland that I thought he went to the front of the net, went to the dirty areas more at the start mm-hmm. of last year than, than than later on. I think that was part of the problem. Uh, I, I have, you know, and uh, the thing is when a player like Connor Garland, like at a lower level is just so impressive, but when you get to those higher levels and in the national hockey league, and he's still impressive, don't get me wrong. He's in the national hockey league has done so many impressive things. Guys will let you handle the puck on the, on the perimeter all day long. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Go ahead. You know, improve your possession stats, improve your possession numbers. We don't really care. And I think that's kind of where he's at. So, I'd love to see him, if, if I'm a Canucks fan, do more of what he was doing at the start, at the start of his tenure with the Canucks last year, versus versus more in the middle and the end. Again, I know it's yeah. tough to play in the NHL; it's easier said than done. But I'm sure that's where they're looking. Well, you know, you know, last season when Boudreaux took over, a lot of positives happened. But you know, one little silver lining I was thinking about over the weekend when seeing the news of Jack Rathbone signing a two-year extension worth 850k per year on a one-way deal, and you know, he can still be sent down without being exposed to, exposed to waivers, and we'll see if he makes a team and all that sort of stuff. will be given every chance. But it almost, if if Rathbone does live up to his potential, it was almost the best-case scenario here, Donnie, for a team that needs players on controllable contracts. Now, because he didn't play a lot last year and didn't get that chance, getting him under control for two more years, 850K, I mean, that's the type of player internally they need to hit. Because if he does... That's the type of value they need for guys outperforming their contracts, and maybe just maybe it aligns uh, for Rathbone. Yeah, yeah, and and there hasn't been enough of that, has there, over the last several years, where you get players on their way up on, on and and the teams that win the Stanley Cup do that, you know, like you know, as great as they are, they've got some pretty good. You Colorado, Tampa Bay have had some pretty good contracts uh, like that. Players on their way up, players who are cheaper. Um, so that, that, that you know, it's something we haven't seen enough of, and and Jack Rathbone has shown enough that you, you think to yourself, okay, you know, left-handed defenseman—they've got a few of those. But if he does hit, so what? Like you've got a pleasant problem on your hands if if he's a guy that clearly sticks around or a guy that can't play the right side. 
great. You've got a pleasant problem on your hands. It doesn't cost much. Smart move. Donnie, uh, we appreciate the time as always. We'll be watching tomorrow for the big return. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, and also we'll we'll, we'll credit you guys with another, yet another great <laughs> idea. <laughs> Thanks, Donnie. Okay. Take care, guys. Uh, there he is. Uh, yeah. Don Taylor, the legend. What a legend. It's always great chatting with Donnie. You know you're a legend when you're just like freely saying, yeah, I'm still in, still in your guys' yeah. takes. <laughs> He's the best. He doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. But you know what? Uh, we haven't talked about Rathbone at all, at all. We'll talk more about Besser on the other side, too. But, you know, the Rathbone one, I, I think it could work out really well here. Because even just looking at it last year, when I was just looking at, you know, cap projections and if Rathbone would have had a decent year last season he would have been signing a contract over a million maybe it's a one way one year deal type of type of situation or whatever but if he can hit next year all of a sudden there's your value yeah you know those are the types of players you need to be big performers for you if possible guys that are essentially on entry-level contract type money and he could have another two years of pod colson on that entry-level yeah. deal and he's maybe bringing you value there Kuzmenko next year on a one year. If yeah. Nils Hoglander has a bounce back, I mean, these are all pie in the sky. Like, not not everything hits for you. No, generally, if everything hits for you, you end up being a playoff team and going on a bit of a Cinderella run. But you know, th- these are the types of things that the Canucks need to happen. Where are you getting value? Where are you getting extreme surplus value? You know, we're going to talk about Besser here in a second, but are you able to get? big surplus value on a Besser contract the way you did with Miller these last couple of years, that's a big ask. And one that isn't all that likely necessarily. But we'll dive into that. Can you get some of those things on this roster? Stan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Brock Besser, what's it going to take for him to bring value on his new contract? And what does the Ryan McDonough trade tell us about the Predators and where the trade market is headed, what that could mean for a potentially available Canuck? That's all coming up in hour number three of Canuck Set. Final hour of Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. It's draft week in the NHL. Today uh, was also a big day on the sporting calendar. The hot dog eating contest, another win for Joey Chestnut. Yeah, and uh, I thought he almost killed somebody too. Did you see that? The protester? Yeah. Put him in a chokehold? Like, I thought he almost snapped the dude's neck. Um, 63 hot dogs. Yeah, man. 15th time he's won it. It's pretty impressive. Name a better dynasty than Joey Chestnut. <laughs> you can't. No. <laughs> no, you really can't. Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. Pretty much. It's called, I mean, he, but even Dortmund's like snuck a couple titles here and That's there. That's right. Yep. Um, so who shouts to Joey Chestnut? 63 <laughs> hot dogs. Don't think I could do it. 63. Like how many hot dogs do you think you, put, you can put away? Oof, I'm, not, I'm not a hot dog guy. Yeah. I mean, I could maybe do four or five. Josh? Josh, I think, like, sneaky. I feel Josh could crush hot dogs. I've always wanted to, like, do what they do and, like, dip it in water, like, try to see how much I could eat. But also that sounds disgusting. Yeah. Uh, but I think, like, a good 
half dozen, six. Really? Okay, six. Ben turn. Oh, Ben Turn would take down like three hot dogs at the turn after uh, after nine holes, eh? I don't do hot dogs like on the oh. Course, oh, yeah. But if I had to, like, I'm not going double digits. Like, there's no no, chance. there's no way. Over the weekend during the barbecue, I had like three, and I was like, "Well, I feel pretty full right now." <laughs> <laughs> See, I could eat an unreasonable amount of pasta. I guess. Yeah. At least I used to be able to. Um. I don't like. I don't know if I could take down a full serving at Anton's right now, though. Oh yeah, that's that's big. I don't know if I could either. And, well, actually, I probably could. You think? I think you could. I I, I can eat. Sat's got a bit of a bottomless pit. Yes, like, a as, bit. as much as he's the fittest guy at the station, <laughs> he has a bottomless pit. I exercise a lot because I eat a lot. Yeah, which Canuck could eat the most hot, hot dogs? If we were handicapping it, if the Canucks were to have a hot dog eating contest. Who would have? Who would be the favorite? Mm. That's a good question. That's a good question. We'll have to pose it to the players <laughs> in training camp. I feel like Pod Colson because he's young. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Probably Pods. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Enough of that. People wanted Brock Besser content. Let's bring it to him. Brock Besser signs a three-year extension. A lot of hot dogs. A lot of hot dogs for six and six point six five million dollars a year i think look it's it's obvious um i know i haven't been able to give my take on it yet but it's not all that crazy to see where this ended up it was the most practical outcome on all sides Mm -hmm. it was i mean and something we've been talking like how how far back do we have to go like how long have we been talking about that three year deal being the, mo- the since optimal the trade deal. deadline? Yeah, that's when the optimal when, deal. When Besser rumors really started to heat up, yeah, we just kind of went through every situation, yeah, and what all the different outcomes look like, and this was always the best path. Yeah, the team wasn't going to get a huge trade haul without his contract having any kind of certainty on it. If you were to trade the contract, trade the player. His new team would have the same reservations you do about him and not wanting to pay seven and a half million bucks. So this was always the most practical outcome for all sides. It's now completely up to Brock to live up to the contract. Loved his honesty in the piece with Ian McIntyre over the weekend. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of hard stuff in there about what he's been going through with the sickness of his father and eventual passing of his father. And that's incredibly difficult. Anybody who's been through that knows it is incredibly difficult and incredibly draining on you. So all very valid things for Brock to not be performing at his best. But I think what's gotten lost in all of the Brock talk is just how good he was the season before. And people forgetting that he played all 56 games. Led the team in scoring. Led the team in scoring. Was by far their most be- their best and most consistent player that year. And yeah, it was a weird year, but you can't throw that out the window. Yes, Brock has battled injuries, but he did play a full season that year. I think Brock can really have a strong season for the Vancouver Canucks. 
at the same time, I don't believe this contract is a guarantee that Brock Besser is a Vancouver Canuck for the next three years. No, I mean, anything can happen with Besser still. I don't anticipate he gets traded this offseason. If anything happens, I think it's after this year. But the reason... They ultimately didn't make the trade is the most obvious one. They didn't get the price, get a price they like, but they didn't get a price they like relative to what they thought they could sign him to. And that's what we had heard. That I had heard that there seems to be a three-year deal to be made on both sides because there's an understanding that Bester's not going to get seven and a half over three years, and Vancouver understands they're going to have to pay him something in the sixes. So it just came down to how do you bridge that one point five million? And there's there was always one to be get bridged, and essentially. Yeah. What what is six point seven? It's the halfway point of you know seven point five essentially, right? They yeah. kind of met in the middle, a little bit under the middle. That's where they met on the three year deal. I think there was a sense that there was a deal to be made if they wanted it. So when you look, when you know that in your back pocket you would have to have a sign, you you were able to sign Bester to a contract somewhere in the sixes, and then you look at the offers, nothing better than what we're getting. Yeah. So now you just bet on him outperforming his contract next year, and then it gives you options. Maybe he stays. Maybe now you have options if you want to trade him. But I think what it also shows, going back to everything else we talked about, the way this organization is viewing these players, I don't think it's necessarily as we have to keep these guys. It's we want to keep these guys at our number. And if we can't, we're not. It's about what they feel is the number. Yeah. And they got to have a walkaway number. The Canucks showed that they were not willing to go to $7 million here for Besser. And look, Besser, you know, they left the the six by six deal on the table when he went through his first contract negotiation with the Vancouver Canucks. He ends up, if you're doing the math, six years, 37 and change. Yeah. So, you know, he makes that back and a little bit more uh, considering, you know, they, they didn't get the six by six done for his last contract negotiation. There's a pathway here for Brock... To have a lot of success in Vancouver, clear mind, focused on hockey. He's got a healthy offseason ahead of him, which he hasn't had a ton of in his in his career. I just don't know if we can see Brock reach the 70-point-ish threshold in the role that he's currently in. You don't think so? I mean, he plays on a first unit power play. But he's he doesn't play him in a prime, prime position on that power. Oh, it's still enough for him to pick up points. Yeah. He could score goals, but he's not picking up a lot of assists on the power play with the way that he's utilized. I don't know. I th- Outside I think... of the, you know, down low, back into the, the bumper spot, past to Horvat. Yeah, and if you get more movement on the power play, maybe you get him some more shots. But yeah. I think I think there's a pathway for him to get 70 points. If As long as you play on the first power play unit and they get hot, you're going to be able to pick up points. Does he have to play with Pedersen to get there? Patterson or Miller? Yeah. But do you have Miller? Which is the question. You know, like, is Miller going to be here? Yeah. And, I mean, because you look at, even though um, Hor- uh, Besser kind of struggled this year, so when Boudreaux took over, after Boudreaux took over, they played 49 games with Besser. Yeah. He had 36 points in those 49 games, 19 goals. Yeah. Which, not a point per game. But a lot better, plus all the stuff he was dealing with. The point I'm trying to make is the system the Canucks are playing at even strength 
does play into Besser's hands. Playing down low along the walls a lot. If you generate more offense at even strength, I think I can see his five on five production bumping up significantly because he does have a lot of ability. I mean, he had 19 points on the power play under he had um, he had 14 points on the power play. Yeah, which means 22 of his points under Boudreaux came out even strength. I think there is with how they're trying to play, especially below the hashes, and him getting to those prime spots more should help his game. The line that we saw that most with last year was Pearson, Miller, Horvat. Or Pearson, Miller, Besser. Sorry, not Horvat. When those three played together, they were dominant down low. They, they played heavy, and Brock ended up in great shooting positions that Pearson and Miller could find him in. Yeah. It, you know, I was fascinated at how well that line worked. At the same time, both those players, both of those teammates may not be Canucks next year. Yeah. So that's a really... Because Pedersen's not necessarily playing that type of a game. No, but I thought I thought him and Pedersen, when they got back together as the season went on, they played well. Remember, there was that there was a few, those games where um, they had put Colson on his line a little bit. There was one game Dickinson was on their line. They were able to generate some offense and stuff like that. Pedersen and Besser early this season really struggled. Remember, we were like, what the hell's going on? Like, these guys have zero chemistry. They played together the most, and they had the worst results. Yeah. We went through the numbers. I mean, it was had, ugly. It was yeah. really bad. But once Pedersen's game game came around, and we saw it later in the season, Pedersen was good with anybody. One of the reasons I'm not as worried about the Pedersen line mate as much as I was before is when he's at his peak, he can play with just about anybody and still be productive. And I saw some of that with Besser again. So if Miller's not here, the best thing to do is just throw Miller and uh, sorry Pedersen and Besser together and see if those guys can just get it going at even strength again. Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Besser. You can do that, or even put Coles in. You can have Garland even. You you have you have a lot of options. You can even heck, you can even, even do Pearson. Right. I'd, can, I'd wonder I want to see Besser maybe try a little bit more left wing. Remember how we saw yeah. Boudreaux flip some wingers, the shooters, to play on their off wing so they can get in more prime shooting positions at five on five? That could be something that ha- helps Brock find his scoring touch a bit more. Well, you know, that is very interesting because um, when you when you look at Besser's game, one of the problems has kind of been him not being able to get a shot off as much. Yeah. So to your point, what happens when you play your off wing? Well, your blade is to the... You can receive pass, yeah. passes in the center of the ice a lot easier and your blade's facing a lot easier to get those shots off. So... That's a creative way to see if he can get his shot off more. Because that's my biggest criticism of Brock Besser is he doesn't get his shot off as well as he did his rookie season. Part of it is teams are playing him tighter now, not giving him the space. But he was really good at changing his angles. So how do you manufacture him getting more looks? Maybe playing him on his off wing makes a lot of sense. We saw that a little bit from Boudreaux towards the end of the season. Mike and Kelowna, it's an overpayment, Sat. He ain't worth it. Yeah, I mean... I understand people have that view after the season he had, but the value in trade wasn't there. And if he has a decent season, you're going to be able to move him. Yeah. So, like... I mean, the one thing that scared me about the Fiala contract is Besser does have better career averages than Fiala. Better career averages, Fiala has the better recency. Yes. Last year he had... He had a season that Besser's never had. Yeah. And had more leverage uh, coming off of that. And... Even though they're similarly close to unrestricted free agency, 
the Canucks got a good deal here with Brock Besser because his production has been strong as much as he has been a uh, polarizing player within the market. Uh, just a, an interesting tweet coming in from one Kevin Weeks. No, it's not a video of him somewhere <laughs> around the world. So not real breaking news? Not real breaking news. Just interesting breaking news. Keep an eye on JT Miller. Has flourished out in Van City. Better than a point per game during his tenure there. He too, as a power skill forward, is drawing plenty of interest in the trade market. Although one year, 5.25 left in his deal. That's from Kevin Weeks, a non-update update on JT Miller. Even Kevin Weeks wants a piece of JT Miller. I saw, uh, I saw, because uh, he had another update earlier today. I think it was on uh, the San Jose gig or something else too. Um, he was talking about Kadri and Kane and stuff like that. And, and I saw Canucks fans replying to him and he, they're like, what about JT Miller? So maybe he's just like, all right. <laughs> he's also interesting. Just not an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, I mean, it's. I will say this about um, about Canucks management. They're really keeping things tight. Like, very tight. Yes. So much so, they don't want to get scooped. It's going to be hard to break trades yourself and not have it get scooped because of other teams being involved, agents, and you know, has to, the trade call has to go into the league offices. Many people get exposed to the information, and that's how those leaks kind of happen. But this front office, if they had their way, I think they want to break everything themselves. So people are hearing stuff. I hear stuff too. Sometimes you get some stuff, you know, vaguely, but most of the stuff you get is from like people outside of the team sometimes. Like right. it's, it, they're very good at keeping things under wraps. And sometimes the stuff they let out, I'm skeptical about because I'm like, why when they're so tight lipped, they're letting this out? Right. What's the reason for it? Why would they let this out when they've been so tight lipped about everything else? Yeah. What are you trying to what are you, what are you trying to say here? It has been hard to get a read on the front office, but if we look at the moves that they have made, they've kind of stayed true to their message. Right? Yeah. We're going to sign players mm-hmm. to the contracts we think they're worth. Uh, we want to get younger, we want to open up cap space. They've done all those things. And, you know, when it comes to JT Miller, I think what Jim Rutherford told us on this show that started all of this and really kicked the Miller trade discussions and rumor mill into high gear was if the negotiations get out of hand, we're going to have to trade the player. And I don't think Jim Rutherford was lying to us, but it's a pretty fair statement to make knowing that Miller may be up for a huge contract Mm -hmm. after the season he just had. Yeah. So the trade market and where it is, we saw a trade over the weekend. Ryan McDonough goes from the Tampa Bay lightning and his entire contract goes from the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Nashville Predators. Remember, McDonough is not a young pup anymore. Has four years remaining on his deal at six seven five six million seven hundred fifty thousand. So, a thirty-three-year-old player with that kind of change remaining against the cap is a pretty hefty risk for the Preds to take. They didn't have to give up much. They gave up Philip Myers, who was on a $2.5 million contract, and they gave up a prospect who wasn't going to make it for them. At least that's the message out of Nashville. So I don't get it. (laughs) I mean, I do because... 
Like, I just watched Ryan McDonough in the playoffs, yeah. and he was really good. He was good. And still plays a strong defensive defenseman yeah. type of game that every team would value. He's a top four guy still, even though he's 33 years old. But that contract, man, Isn't that's a that... lot of term to be taking on still at 33 for a defensive defenseman. Yeah, I get it, but it's not like he's that defensive. I mean, people are making Ryan McDonough out to be a guy that can't even make a stretch pass. The man had 46 points for Tampa not so long ago okay. in 2019. Yeah. You know, like we're not talking about a guy that can't move the puck, you know? And even if he is more defensive now, yeah, understandable. That's in his role. I, I One thing that surprised me, I, I get the the concern. He's 33. You're right. Four more years. You're right. I mean, all those things are concerning and there there is risk involved with it. But man, people crapping on Ryan McDonough really surprised me. And people <laughs> tell me he's not a top four defenseman anymore. People saying that he's washed up and he had a horrible cup final. I'm like, yeah, maybe he wasn't great against Colorado for those six games, but everything else he did, he was fantastic this year. He had a really strong year for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's a really good defenseman. And I don't think many teams this would make sense for. The reason it makes sense for Nashville is what else are they going to do? And I think this also shows they're probably pretty confident they can get Philip Forsberg signed and you're going to be all in essentially. Because check this out, Dan. Matt Duchesne is 31, four more years at $8 million per season. Ryan Johansson is 29, three more years at $8 million per season. Michael Grandland, 30 years old, $5 million per year for three more years. Let's look at the blue line. Roman Yossi, 32 years old, and he's got what? Six more years left yeah. at $9 million per season. Yusuf Soros, their star goaltender, is 27 years old, three years remaining at $5 million per season. And also Matthias Ekholm, 32 years old, Four years remaining at six point two five million. What are they if they're not all in on, on the season right now? It, like the McDonough deal, they have a three to four year window. That's what they're looking at. Three to four years, then we're looking at some pain and a rebuild. McDonough fits into that. They they're, look they're, like a team that was ready to rebuild last year, though. But once you have all these guys signed long term deals, it made me. I, who wanted to do Shane? Who's yeah. training for Duchesne and giving up something? Who's training for Ryan Johansson? Yusuf Sarr is twenty seven years old three years remaining. Once he's 30, what contract is he looking at? Are you even keeping him, depending on where you're at? Essentially, if you're keeping Philip Forsberg, you're all you're all in. You have, yeah. a, you have a three to four year window and that's it. So uh, to me, if you're keeping Forsberg, it actually makes sense because you don't have a rebuild. You're not capable of rebuilding if you're keeping Forsberg. It, uh, I, I had people making this comparable in my mentions over the weekend, but it kind of goes back to one of the takes after the Canucks acquired JT Miller from Tampa Bay. Like, yeah. Why did you give up a first. Why did you give Tampa assets when they had to trade the player? But they didn't give up assets, though. Vancouver did, yes. Vancouver did, but also Miller was like in his prime and had, uh, you know, it was twenty five at the time, twenty six at the time. But there's still sticker when shock when that trade, trade happened. Remember, it was, like, was how, do you, how do you how do you give up the third as well? Yeah, you They're give up cash. a first and a third. People were like it should have been a second and a third or yes. something. Yes, and now you hear you have the McDonough trade, and I do feel like. You're doing Tampa a favor by not having them attach an extra asset to Ryan McDonough. I know he's a good player, but you're still doing them a favor by not having to attach an extra asset to the player. Now, all that said, Nashville has just become a contender, or they've at least announced themselves as a contender. They're going to potentially keep Philip Forsberg and who knows what else do they do 
But what does Tampa do next? Yeah. Now that they've moved McDonough, can they re-sign Palat and Ruda like they hope to? I'm skeptical. Do they have to make another move? Is it Alex Kalorn that potentially gets moved? I think Tampa still has to do something else if they're going to keep Palat and Ruda. And not only that, they also need they also need some assets for flexibility because they've traded so much already. I mean, they have their first round pick this year, but the next two first rounders have been traded. Um, they don't have a second this year. They don't have a second next year. They don't have a third this year. So not only do you need some cap space, you also need some. You need to recoup some assets here in order to make some trades or bring some players in to supplement your team the next few years as you try to squeeze out maybe one or two more cups, if possible, out of this team. So I think there's one more move coming. And maybe it's not Kaloran. Maybe it's something that gives them value. Maybe they have to do something else. Ooh. Because, I mean, Kaloran would be just like McDonough, a straight dump, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's only got one year one left. One year left. Maybe you're getting a third or a second or something, which I guess, you know, could make it a little bit easier. But, I mean, he, he, yeah. There's not a whole lot that Tampa can move outside of that, unless it's a Sergachev or... Which I don't think they're doing. Although, I mean, does Sergachev want to get paid now that he switched his agent to Dan Milstein? Yeah. He's a year out from uh, free agency. Yeah. What is he looking at? He'd probably be looking at a big contract. Maybe not quite uh, Hedman numbers, but at least $6 million a year. I mean, they have him and Cernak. they got to play next season. Yeah. I mean, can they even keep Colton Ross, for instance? Like, I wonder like, if they just make a trade like that. I mean, he only makes 1.125 and they need players like him. But, you know, I wonder if, you know, he's a guy that teams may like and you actually get a first-round pick for him because he's 25, had 22 goals. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if, if they do something along those lines. Final thing on this, and the most important thing. What does this mean for the D market and what it could mean for trades? specifically Tyler Myers, Sad, yes. because we know that's the name that's been thrown out a ton. You've been saying it for months. Tyler Myers can be moved and potentially moved without having to attach an asset to him like many people in Vancouver seem to have thought. Yeah, I don't think Vancouver has to attach an asset to him. And... You know, I spoke to somebody and maybe they were overly optimistic about Tyler Myers' trade value, but said like he could see something along the lines of the Nate Schmidt value, which was a third round pick. Now, Schmidt was different, had, had a lot of money on the books remaining, but not quite the same cap. Similar cap hits too, a close to 6 million, 5.9 or whatever it was yeah. for, for Nate Schmidt, but he has more term left on his contract as well. And people thought that when the Canucks traded Nate Schmidt after they acquired him, they would have to retain or they would have to do something. He had such a bad year and lo and behold, he goes for a third. That's a sense I heard on Tyler Myers. I've had others kind of mention that maybe it's more late round value, but the sentiment seems to be, Dan, Canucks don't have to take back a lot of money or they certainly don't have to sweeten the pot. Maybe you have to take back a contract worth a million, something along those lines, or maybe you retain yeah. 1 million against a cap or something. But there is a real way for you to offload that contract as long as you feel like you have somebody you want to bring in to replace them, the organization's view of things. Myers is not exactly easy to replace. As I've said numerous times, he is, if he was a free agent this year, he'd be the third best right shot D on the market. Behind Latang and behind Klingberg. Then it would be Tyler Myers. So that's why I could see teams wanting to trade for Myers if he were available. But it also really speaks to how difficult it is to fill those right shot D men spots. Mm -hmm. And. The name John Marino keeps coming up. 
I don't know how that's possible for the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe there's a hockey trade to be made, but finding right shot D-man and one to replace the 20-plus minutes Myers plays at 5-on-5 in a shutdown role and on the penalty kill, not exactly easy to fill. Mm -hmm. It's Canucks Central coming up. More on your Vancouver Canucks, and we'll look back on our interview with Jeremy Colleton. That's next, Sports at 650.